Good morning, Bethany. Let's try one more time. Good morning. I can tell I feel at home now because you guys are now giving me practical jokes as gifts. So if you've been here the last couple weeks, what's happened when I preach? My battery dies. So here you go. You guys are think you're funny. I let I'm, you are witnessing. I have three bars right now. So if it goes out, it's either the Lord or Satan shutting my mouth. But uh, it's great to be here with you guys this morning. Um, so this is, I've been here six weeks, and I've heard Pastor Martin preach three great sermons, but out of those three, uh, two of them, he's sang in them. And I don't know, that I think that's a thing, I guess. I don't know, so i got to keep this tradition going. But it's darker in here than the other services, so I need your help. This song's going to set up our, our text for this morning. Um, are you guys with me? Come on, come on. If you love Jesus, you're with me. I need you, if you have a cell phone, which you shouldn't because you're in church, but uh, take your phone out and put your light on. Oh, 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 this is cool. All of you, you all have your phones. Come on. I want to see like all the phones. Okay. Now let's stand up because we sing better when we stand. And it's stand up there. I just see lights moving. I can't see your beautiful faces. This is great. Uh, and we're going to sing a song. It's, you guys know it. If you don't have your phone, you can get your little light out like this, right? And you, I need you to sing along with me. All the other services have done great. Don't be too cool because it's lit in here and stuff, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hey, good job. That was, all right. Now put your phones away so you pay attention to me now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so uh, our gospel text this morning, we'll get to it in a moment, but we're working our way through, through our fruition series, and we're looking at the different spirits, uh, the, not the different spirits, the different fruits of the spirit. And this morning we are looking at goodness. And, and the word used here, goodness, isn't just about morality, like be a good, Jim, be a good little boy. Martin, be a good little pastor. No, he's talking more about this idea of goodness, of you're living your entire life for the benefit of other people. That you are pouring yourself out in a way that when people come in contact with you and your sphere of influence, their life is better. They flourish because the Spirit is working in you in a way that benefits their life. And for our gospel text this morning, we're looking at Matthew, and uh, this is what Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that we may see your what? Good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There's many times I read the New Testament. I come across Jesus' teachings. And I go, what? Jesus, what, what do you mean by this? Or I might go, I know what you mean by it, but I don't like it. And there's very few passages I come across and I go, Oh, this is pretty straightforward. Like, he said what he said, and most people, like, as the commentaries, the, the really smart people, they are like, yeah, this is what it means. Like, Jesus says the part to be salt and light. In the ancient world, salt was this, uh, it preserved things. It benefited other people. It was a sign of peace and friendship. It had all these kind of uh, ideas behind it. And then light, like, even today, pilgrims back then, but today, if you're afraid of the dark, like, light is a place of refuge and safety and blessing. 
We're supposed to live our life in that way, do these good works, do good things, pour ourselves out in a way that benefits other people so that they give glory to God in heaven. Pretty straightforward. But sometimes the simplest texts are the hardest to live by, to, to lead into. And this week I've been kind of wrestling through this text. This is like, it's so simple. So my first instinct is like, all right, go be good. Like, just do it. Like, stop being a baby. Stop being lazy. Like, just go. Go do what God's called you. Go be obedient. Go. How many of you would like me to do that? No. Some of you overachievers are like, yeah, and you're going to come back here next week and be like, ah, it didn't work out so well, right? So then I started to think, like, what, what do we do with this? Because I can't stand here and yell at you and, like, beat the sheep. That's not right, right? But I also can't be like, you know what? You're forgiven. Jesus is so okay with you being disobedient. Like, Jesus, he loves you so much. Like, he doesn't care you don't take his word seriously. He doesn't care that you're not actually living your faith out. He doesn't care that, that, like, you come on Sunday and the rest of your week looks nothing like what you hear about preach. I can't do that either. So what do we do, Right? So I started to think, like, what, what is the thing behind the thing that keep, is keeping us from doing this? Because most of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you read a text like this, you hear a text like this, you're like, yeah, I, I, it's pretty simple, and, I, pro, and I, I even agree with it. Like, I want to do it. It's not for lack of desire that we don't live this out. So what is it? What is it that behind the thing that's keeping us from doing the thing so I started, I was like, you know what, I'm going to talk to people in the church. I'm going to, the people I want you to know, the elders, kind of, I started making some phone calls, and some of you are in this room, and I kind of shared what I'm preaching on this week, and said, so, you read a text like this, and it's very simple, what keeps you from living this out? And as, as I was speaking with people, a lot of the same themes started to bubble up. There was nothing like, where I'm like, whoa, that was something new, right? And most people had things along the lines, like, one or all of these may hit you, like, they're just... They're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing if someone asks them about God or the Bible or their faith. Just, oh, man, I'm not a pastor. I haven't been to seminary, so I, I might mess this up. Like, I may, might mess up God's plan, right? It's kind of goofy if you think about it, but it's a, it's, it's a real fear. Or, or like, I just don't know enough, so I just need to learn more, and then I'll be able to actually do these things. Or um, just they don't want to offend people, right? We live in a culture where you say anything, you're going to offend somebody. And maybe in, like, a secular workplace, like, you really can't speak about Jesus when, without getting in too much trouble. Or, like, our family stage, like, I was talking with my wife and myself, like, we're just tired, <laughs> Like kids with young families. Before I had kids, I'm like, go be on mission. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, like we fed the kid and got to sleep. That's a win, right? And, and so that's a real thing. We're just tired. We're overscheduled, busy people. And I don't even say that these things are necessarily excuses. Like, just get over it. Like, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Come on, buttercup, go. Come on, do it, do it. These are real life realities that we live into. So what do we do about it? How do we actually move beyond hearing Jesus' words and go like, I agree with that, to actually living it out, being obedient, being faithful? The answer lies in the words from Jesus this morning. He starts this teaching by saying, you are salt. You are light. He does not start by saying, one day you will be salt. 
One day you will be light. One day when you hear enough sermons, one day when you go to seminary, one day when you're finally good enough, then you'll be these things. No, Jesus says, you are salt. You are light. Therefore, let your light shine. Let good works flow from you. Now, the context of this is, is pretty important. This is the beginning of Jesus' what we've come to call the Sermon on the Mount. And it's kind of Jesus' manifesto of what it means to be truly human, to live out, um, to live life in the kingdom of God. How do we follow his teachings and bless the world? And this is, uh, in Matthew's account, it's the beginning of his ministry. He's called his 12 disciples to himself, and they've seen him do some miracles, but not, I, I, would, I would be safe to say most of the 12 there were like, this guy, something's different about him. Like, he might be a prophet from God, but they don't realize he is Israel's Messiah. They don't realize he's the savior of the world. I would even dare to say they probably wouldn't be what we define as quote-unquote Christians yet. They were a group of 12 guys who had various backgrounds, various vocations, things that they were doing, and Jesus said, you, come follow me. Peter, you're no longer a fisherman. I'm going to make you fisher of men. And put yourself in these men's shoes. You're following Jesus. You've seen him do some, amir- some, some literally miraculous things. And he's sitting here and crowds are gathering. And you're at his feet. And he, he looks at you and says, he looks at Peter and says, you are the salt. You are light. Matthew, you are salt. You are light. And I wonder if those men sitting there were going, no, me? No, Jesus, I'm a fisherman. I'm a tax collector. I'm a religious and political zealot. No, I'm not these things. And I wonder if Jesus spoke these words with intentionality because he knew these men who had already probably left more than you and I have ever left to follow Jesus, honestly. And he's, he's realizing these men still don't understand who they are in relation to God because they're living into their old identity. They're living into what the world was, had said is true about them. They're living into the way that they, the thing that brought food to the table. And he looks at them and says, no, 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 you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And I wonder if the thing behind the thing for us is that we actually don't believe who Jesus, what Jesus says we actually are. That we don't believe who Jesus says we are. That we don't believe what Jesus believes about us. That, frankly, we just don't believe the gospel. We might cognitively get it. We might, might embrace it. I'm not saying you don't have saving faith. But, but at the end of the day, do we really embrace that we are the beloved of God? That each week... When whoever is up here leading the liturgy, they are saying, you are forgiven, you are loved, you are made new in Christ, you are loved by God. If you grew up in more of a, uh, the traditional liturgy of our church body, or maybe another church body, or if you've been to our 745 service, um, uh, we have a service that early. If you did not know, 745, we will be here. Promise. But in our confession, which um, I don't have a problem with, but it's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way because we confess. If, if you are familiar with it, maybe you can say it with me. I am a what? Poor, miserable sinner. It's so fun to come to church, right? <laughs> Poor, miserable sinner. We're going to walk attention, but walk with me here. 
I wonder if one of the reasons we don't live out this, this gospel identity is because we're operating from a place of how we see ourselves that actually God doesn't see us as. I wonder when we confess that, if it's even necessarily, like, I, I wrestle with it, because I, from reading the scriptures, the New Testament, Jesus himself, I can't make the argument that God sees those who are in Christ, he doesn't see them as sinners. He doesn't. Paul in Romans has this beautiful un- uh, just unpacking of what happens in our baptisms that the old Adam, the sinner, is held under the waters of baptism till he is dead, drowned, water filled with lungs, not coming back to life. And you are raised out of the waters as a new creation, alive in Christ. No longer a sinner, but a saint. Go read Paul's addresses in his epistles, the letters he's writing to real Christians at that time. He doesn't say, greetings, fellow sinners. Greetings, you awful human beings that God wants to smash. No, how does he address them? Greetings, fellow saints. Even the Corinthians. In the Corinthians, if you know about the Corinthians, they were doing things the pagans were like, whoa, guys, like, that's kind of weird. You shouldn't even be doing that. And he addresses them as saints and then smashes them later. <laughs> but Paul primarily saw anyone who was in Christ as a saint, not as a sinner. Do we believe that? Now you might be saying, Pastor, I've read my Bible and like First John says we are still sinners. Yes, if you say you are without sin, you are deceiving yourself. Paul, at the end of his life, after following Jesus more faithful than I probably ever will, says, I am the chief among all sinners, which is true. But it was not his primary identity as a follower of Jesus. He was a beloved child of God through what Christ had done for him and leaned into that identity. Do I still sin? Yes. Do you still sin? Yes. But God does not see you as a sinner. He sees you as a saint whose his son died and rose for you so you may receive his grace and forgiveness and live out of a new identity. Live as a beloved child of God. As I follow Jesus, as I walk with you, as, as we follow Jesus together, I'm coming more and more to, to think the hardest part of the Christian journey is not doing good things. It's not forgiving our enemies. It's embracing that I'm a beloved child of God. Because there's things in me that I know are not forgivable. I know there's things in me that if I saw them lived out in someone else, I could not look past. Yet God looks at me. He looks at you. And he sees Jesus because he has made you a new creation. That you are beloved. That you are his. That you are his child. That you are his son. That you are his daughter. You are not a poor, miserable sinner in the light of Christ. Henry Nouwen, Catholic writer, he he says this, For most of my life I have struggled to find God, to know God, to love God. I have tried hard to follow the guidelines of the spiritual life, pray always. Great. 
Work for others? Yes. Read the scriptures? Most definitely. And to avoid the many temptations to dissipate myself. I have failed many times, but, but I but always tried again, even when I was close to despair. Now, I wonder whether I have sufficiently realized that during all this time, God has been trying to find me, to know me, and to love me. The question is not, how am I to find God, but how am I to let myself to be found by God? The question is not, how am I to know God, but how am I to let myself to be known by God? God is looking into the distance for me, trying to find me and longing to bring me home. Maybe we've been asking ourselves the wrong question all along. Not how do I love God, how do I serve God? Those are good questions. But first, how do I open myself up to receive this remarkable love? The Jesus Storybook Bible, which I think is the greatest Bible for kids, and often as adults, we need things boiled down to like, kids understanding for it to hit home and they talk about God's love like this you see no matter what in spite of everything God would love his children with a never stopping never ending never giving up unbreaking always and forever love that's the kind of love that God ravishly pours out upon his people upon you and upon me every single day Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Another Catholic writer, Brennan Manning, he puts it this way. I think this is what we all are praying to get towards. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ. And I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. Do you believe that? That your deepest awareness is found in who Christ is and what he has done for you. Because it fights against everything in our culture. Our culture says, go find your identity. Be whatever you want to be. Like, I'm a millennial. Do whatever you want to do, honey. And then the financial collapse of 2018. No, we can't do whatever we want to do. Sorry, young people. Like, you can't just be whatever you want to be. Like, life happens, right? And then I see people trying to just find their identity and, and base their identity on all of these things where we're told as a culture, just look with inside and be who you want to be. And there's some truth to that. But that's not the posture of those in Christ. It's the posture of those in Christ is it's an identity we receive that comes from outside of us, that is placed on us, that is clothed on us, that we are baptized into, that we are made new, we are given a new name, a new people, a new identity in Christ. When we begin to embrace this kind of love, this new identity as a saint, as perfect, as holy, as righteous in light of God, that's when that fruit of goodness begins to bubble up. Because when we embrace this never-ending, forever kind of love, we won't be as paralyzed by the fear of saying the wrong thing to a coworker. We might not hold on to our time and our budget and our agenda as tightly because we know we have everything in Christ and we can freely give it away and live lives full of goodness for others. But this doesn't happen like that. 
This is, a, this is a journey of a lifetime. The disciples sat with Jesus for three years, face to face, and they still didn't get it. This is something on this side of eternity, sure, we're never going to be perfect, but Christ is moving in us. He is forming us. He is shaping us by continually pouring his love and his, his grace upon us day in and day out. We will never be without sin this side of eternity, but he does not see us as sinners. Another writer came across this this week. Trusting, obeying, abiding, believing, studying, serving, loving, devoting, and concentrating. Consecrating. These are all action words to describe a committed Christian. I, mind you, good, good things. Wouldn't it be great if we could live in the purity of these, of these conducts and attitudes? So what do we do about sin? When I fall short, I want to know, and this is the key this morning, that I can return to the sense of God's pleasure over me. That's what walking in the Spirit is all about. Becoming a Christian is the simple step of receiving the free gift, the finished work of Jesus Christ, repenting of our sins, and then walking in, the new, in this new revelation Living out the Christian life requires a moment-by-moment relationship with the Lord. So here's my homework for us this morning. Say gospeling. Say gospeling. There we go. We're going to learn. We're going to work together. Gospeling. I didn't come up with this word, but I like it. It still gets a red mark in my Word documents. It's not a real word, but this is your homework this week. Comb through the scriptures. Use your real paperback one or Google and look for Bible verses about God's love for me. And you'll find some. And print those out or write them down. Put them on a sticky note. Put them on the backdrop of your phone or your, or your tablet or whatever. Wherever your eyes are glued. Put them on the mirror in the morning. Put it on your dashboard of your car. And gospel the crud out of yourself this week. Remind yourself who you are in Christ. And if you have a family or roommates that you live with, gospel each other. Remind each other. Even if it sounds completely cheesy. And like, Jim, you're a beloved son of God. Kirk, you're a beloved son of God. Martin, you are a beloved son of God. And then you can say it back to them. And we have plenty of people in our, in our faith family here that live by themselves. Maybe uh, contact the office and be like, hey, who can I gospel this week in our part of our church family? And then begin to see how goodness starts to bubble up out of that. Freedom from the fear of having to appease this angry God. Because you are beloved children of God. I want to leave you with this image as we wrap up this morning. The a gym I used to work out at and work at in Dallas. My buddy Mike and I, we were, we'd work out together sometimes. We were bench pressing like 500 pounds as we do. Kidding. It was 600. And, and his son would come in, and his son at the time was maybe five, six years old. Like, couldn't pick up a 50-pound dumbbell if he had to. And his son was just this arrogant little, just confident kid. And he comes in. He's like, I'm going to work out with you guys. I'm like, okay, this is going to be fun, right? And he's like beating his chest, and he gets on the bench, and he, he goes to grab the 700 pounds on the bar, gets in position, and, and Micah is standing there. I'm sitting side, just like, all right, see what happens. And this kid's like, Rah! and Mike is like doing it, like, Rah! picking, doing all, eh. they re-rack it, and his son gets off, and 
high five, dad, yeah, that was awesome, and goes about his work, right? Micah, the boy didn't do a thing, right? His dad did all the work, but his son had this confidence in the presence of his father that enabled him to do things that he didn't think was possible because he was in the presence of his, his father and he knew he was the beloved child. Friends, you and I, we're in the presence of our heavenly father. We are the beloved. He does the heavy lifting. He's prepared the good works in advance for you and I to do. So may we be obedient and faithful. May we be the salt and light that he is going to use to bless the places that you are going to this week. Let me pray over us. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you and him co-partner, that, that he was obedient to the point of death, death on a cross for me and for my brothers and sisters gathered in this room and for the people that we don't even know yet who you are calling to yourself. And because of his perfect life, his death, and his glorious resurrection, Jesus, I thank you that we are now your brothers and sisters, and by adoption, children of the king of the universe. May that be our place of operation this week, that we are saints, that we are beloved, that we are perfect and holy in our Father's sight. So God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may you empower us to go and be the salt and light of the world that is longing to taste saltiness and see light amongst darkness. Fill us, Lord. Convict us, and may we be obedient and faithful because we know we are loved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.